The bell rings uh, three tolls every hour on the hour, day and night, as a sign of our adoration, our continuous vigil before the Blessed Sacrament. documentary programme on the lives and ideals of enclosed sisters, we hear the voices of poor Clare nuns of the community of Drumshambo, County Leitrim, and also the voice of Sister Maura Donnelly, a Sacred Heart sister. has had a, a spiritual quest, um, a longing to go beyond this world. You can find it in all religions and indeed outside of, of um, the great world religions. But within the Catholic Church, which is what uh, you're interested in, um, from the very early days, people have gone apart to seek God. For example, in the early centuries, went out to the desert of Egypt. I, I had the great opportunity of actually seeing in Egypt where they went to, and it's a most moving thing to see where they went alone in the desert. Then a little later, you had the rise of the great monasteries throughout Europe. Later still, you had Francis with Clare and the poor Clares. There were the great uh, Carmelite convents and the great Carmelite renewal at the time of Teresa of Avila. So we have a very, very strong contemplative tradition within the Catholic Church. But as I say, you can find it in all the, the great world religions, it is, I think, a human search, this search for God. I had a vocation and to make up my mind about the choice of, of a vocation, that was another thing too. But then uh, I had a grand dance in Galway, which appealed to me very much and uh, we visited there often and it, oh, occasionally they always remind you about a life of prayer and giving yourself to God and so forth. And of course we were, this was instilled at home to us as well. They mentioned then in, in the Poor Clares in Galway, what about Drum Shambo? So um, I remember Mamma writing here and asking about it. So I came here on a visit on the 8th of December in, yeah, 1944. And uh, I came on the narrow gate 
uh, as far as Drummond and I never forget the impressions I had with all the geese and the, the old folk and the train and oh it was desperate and oh and the cold I was perished and I arrived in Drumshambo and it was miserable that evening it was very dark so I came to the town anyway what, what was the narrow gauge? it was a train that came from well now Langford was it? I think around Langford it came I know it came from Drummond anyway we got on at Drummond anyway and came into Drumshambo so I came up here then that evening myself and my mother and we were here for benediction and stayed the night in Rumshambo and uh, everything went fine anyway so they said they'd accept me here so I entered on the 27th of February the next year 1945 and I'm as happy as Larry and I wouldn't exchange with anybody today. I remember distinctly when my vocation was decided it was one night a big dance was coming off I think in Chum at the time and my sister and myself went to, were to go to this dance after great pulling up strings with friends and everybody to get us going. So eventually we were all, I was set on, very set on going to this dance and uh, all getting all the usual things that we got at that stage. They were small in comparison with the girl of today, but I had everything in order anyway. And that evening I washed my hair, I remember particularly, and... Uh, Lo and behold, I got um, very ill and uh, I had an ear bleeding and the doctor had to be brought. So the dance was out for me. So I had to go to bed instead. But I remember I did the necessary for my sister, dressing her up and putting on the usual and the finishing touches for, for her. And she went off to the dance and I went to bed. And I found out definitely my vocation wasn't for the world. So that decided my vocation for drum shambo. Well, I was thinking of the religious life from I was about 14. And um, then at 18, I had to make a definite deci decision. So I, um, I came across a leaflet uh, with prayers uh, said by the nuns here every hour of the day and night. And I said to myself, well, they're wonderful nuns. So I wrote here and made inquiries, and uh, I finished up here. Uh, at 20, I went to America, and I lived there working in office for a time. Where? In Philadelphia. And I hadn't ever really thought of religious life, but I had visited Drumshenbo before going to America, and I realized the life they lived here, and I often thought of it. I often thought, uh, here and there, there are sisters praying way back in Drumshanbo. Why I would think of that, I didn't know. But it thought often flashed across my mind the most unexpected times. And uh, gradually then, as uh, something happened, I realized that how good God was. And I wanted to do something for God, thinking that I could do anything for God, but I wanted to do something for God in, in gratitude for his goodness. Were you happy in America? Yes, very. And I thought that, well, the greatest thing I could do would be make some kind of a sacrifice. And after thinking of, um, you know, saving my money and sending it all to the missions, and first and then going to the missions and various ways like that, and working for charity, and then even with all that, I thought, was there still something I was still searching? And that the hardest thing and the thing I didn't want to do was to come back and come to Drumshenbo. You didn't want to do I that? I didn't want to do that, and I thought that would be a sacrifice. 
Well, even after I'd making the decision, after having made the decision to come, I got to know God better, and then I wanted to come because I wanted to come closer to him, and I wanted nothing else but to be with him. And then I realized that it was he who was calling. He was choosing me, not I choosing him. And I felt that I couldn't be closer to him anywhere than I could be in a place where there was perpetual exposition and perpetual adoration of the Blessed Sacrament. And again, to um, augment that was enclosure, cut off from the world completely. And that is just what I wanted, seclusion and solitude and to be with God. And for the sake of, for the sake of souls, for the sake of the world. Was there anything of um, escapism, so...? No, because I wanted to do something hard. If there were, I would not... <laughs> if it was escaping, and wouldn't have appeared a, a hard choice in the first place. Like, if you hadn't come in here, you could have lived a, a very happy well, life? Well, hopefully. There's no reason why I wouldn't have lived a very normal life. It was contrary to what, uh, you know, the very fact that I've wanted to come was contrary to my um, natural uh, ambition. I love travelling and seeing the world. I've been around the world several times. It's nothing for me to hop on a jet plane and to be travelling. Um, the first time I was in Ireland was to do my midwifery in Drada. And then I went back to Australia. But when I was in Australia, there was something calling me back to Ireland again. But it wasn't a religious life in my mind, but it was just something. And... Um, then when I came back, I, I was back in Perth about six months and I then got enough money to get back to Ireland and I worked for a while and then I was reading, I was restless. You were working as a nurse, is it? I was, yes. Wh where? Uh, in Dublin. Um, I was in the hospital while, but I did a lot of private too. Were you kind of strongly religious? Did you, were you a very strong Catholic? I was, I'm a convert to the faith. And were you at that stage a Catholic when you were nursing in Ireland? Yes, yes, but not really that long a Catholic. You converted when you were in Australia? Australia, yes. Yeah. So then, had you heard of the sisters here? No, I hadn't. I was actually on duty, uh, and I was going to go down to Galway for the weekend with another friend, and a patient um, said to me, how about um, going up to Donegal? So we decided we would. We had never been to Donegal, and it was an opportunity of a lift. Um, while we were waiting for the lift, they were very late. I picked up a newspaper and happened to see an advert of the place here, and something inside me made me feel this is what I was really looking for in life. Because really my travellings, probably more in the subconscious, was searching for real meaning in life. What did God really want me to do? And I I, I had a feeling for religious life, but I was running away from it all the time. And when I saw this advert, I knew that perhaps this is what I was searching for. What did the advert say? Um, Roughly, <laughs> not, not exactly, but I mean... Are you, do you love the world? Do you love souls? Do you love the missions? Um, do you love prayer, the contemplative life? Indeed, our Lord and the Eucharist, blessed sacrament.
and I thought I was making a big sacrifice coming in. But when I came in, I wasn't long saying to myself, I gave up nothing compared to what I have gained within the life. What do you think you've gained? I've gained it. God himself, what we're looking, what, we, what was made for, and happiness and peace and joy, fulfillment, which is very hard to explain to somebody who doesn't believe in God because it is a life of faith. It really is. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a, it comes from an experience, isn't it? You can, it's, it's a difficult thing to put into words. But I know that it's easy to speak to someone who does believe in God because they know from their own experience the power of prayer that's helped them in the times of trouble and crisis and indecision. I wouldn't say it's a hard life. You get so accustomed to it, really, you know. And uh, I remember someone calling here one time and they they asking us about, do we mind getting up for adoration at night? And we said we didn't, and this lady said, I don't believe you, she said. <laughs> and uh, that's quite true, you know. We, we, You get the grace, I suppose. That's the most important thing, you get the grace. I really didn't find the life hard. If, I, if it comes to that, and I never have been one day unhappy and during all my life, I really found what I had been looking for all the time, and I didn't know it. And what do you think that was? Well, union with God and life of prayer and... Then I found the happiness, which I always seemed to miss, no matter how I enjoyed myself outside. There was always something missing uh, afterwards, you know. And this is what I, where I found fulfilment when I came in. I just found the happiness, and there was never anything missing afterwards. Did it ever? Did you ever think at any stage in your life that maybe when you die, that um, that might be just it? You know, that that you, that there was no heaven. Oh no, I don't think it was that. <laughs> no, no, no. You, you never thought of that. No, never. Do you ever get bored in here? Uh, oh no, no. The day is very full between the prayers and the work, and uh, I enjoy my work too. I love the garden. I love going off with a pair of Wellingtons and a spade, and doing a bit of digging. Well, we haven't any worries, really. There's nothing to worry about. God takes care of everything and we do our bit for our time and leave the future in his hands. We never worry about the future. It's foolish anyway. (laughs) Why? Because, uh, I mean, we can't see what's going to happen tomorrow and just leave it so and live for today and leave God take care of tomorrow. Do you think you're free? Oh, we do, because we could leave, we could, uh, you know, the key is on the inside the enclosure door, we could go out any time we wanted, so we're free to stay, we're staying just because this is what we want to do. Nothing else in the world we want to do. And never any distress from the like of that for material needs or comforts. We are quite happy with what we have. Our needs are, um, they're few, really. Our life is very, very simple, so that our needs are few. And we wouldn't want it otherwise, because we're free from material things, we wouldn't want to be encumbered by material things. No stable income. Our vow of poverty excludes having a stable income. And we live on providence and according to the spirit of uh, St. Clare. We depend on providence and providence uh, does keep us well provided for. Uh, through, and well, of course, through the work we do ourselves in the way of gardening and, and uh, 
the ordinary work. We don't employ anyone to do anything that we can do ourselves. But then uh, people uh, provide offerings and give us ends uh, for our life, for our livelihood, especially to provide uh, towards the exposition of the Blessed Sacrament. Maintain the exposition, that takes money, and they provide very carefully. But they ask us uh, to pray for their intentions, and then they give us offerings, knowing that we have to live. Did you ever um, doubt the existence of God? Um, I think I probably thought about what it would be to doubt it. I don't think I ever doubted it. One of the things that, that's coming across very much, I mean, there, there are about 12 of you in the room at the moment, and there's just this amazing happiness kind of coming across. And I wondered, is there ever any um, friction or any crosswords between you as there might be in, in any number of people like that living? Well, I think they're all listening now. <laughs> You can safely say there are never any, any serious, no, we may have, uh, you know, disagreements or the like of that, but no, never any. Should there, no, no, uh, maybe misunderstandings or the like of that, but no, never any, any uh, friction, or, no. I think the, mo- the most difficult thing in a contemplative order is to stick at it day in, day out, without change. That's the most difficult. It's not hard uh, day by day, but... For young people coming in, that's what they find most difficult. Stick at this day in, day out, without a holiday, without any change, the same routine. One of their doors, the five o'clock doors, rings a bell at a quarter to six, and you're up at a quarter to six, and at a quarter past six, we have the morning prayers, and then we have half an hour of meditation, and then we have the office of, the office of readings. And that takes us to about quarter past seven. So we go away for a short while at quarter past seven and we're down in chapel again at 20 minutes to eight for uh, the Office of Morning Prayer, followed by Holy Mass at eight o'clock. And then we have uh, breakfast uh, around nine o'clock. And then from nine o'clock until half past 11, uh, we uh, do the work of the house, general work of the house, cleaning and uh, then laundry and some sisters go do garden work and uh, cooking in the kitchen. have one but we only uh, look at it at Christmas time or Easter or if there's some uh, if the Pope was here when the Pope was here we saw it yeah what do you think of it I think it's a wonderful invention yeah we enjoy it when, when anytime we what, what about radio we have a radio in the house too but we, we don't uh, listen to it except it's something except it's some religious program somebody would suggest that we listen to it you, have you heard of women's liberation? Well, we have heard of it, all right. Uh, what would you think of that? Well, 
I don't want to be liberated in any way. <laughs> I feel completely free. Yeah. Myself. I mean, I have freely chosen this life, and I found fulfillment in it. And I sometimes think that I am living now what we all hope to live in heaven. In the future, only it's only a difference between faith and vision. Like in heaven, we will see what we're adoring, and now we're adoring in faith. I think women's liberation is a marvellous thing, provided to, that they are for the right thing. And what do you think is the right thing? In the choice of God and serving the church, and, and in our case, contemplative life. But I think the real liberation consists in being free to do what one wants to do. Being free, liberation, being freed to do what one wants to do. And um, I, t I think a lot of people are not so free to do what they want to do uh, through their own their own way of life, through their own choice, wrong choices maybe. But if they always uh, choose to do what they think God wants them to do, then they will be free to do, and they always want that, uh, then they are free. I think the 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 bond or the well the liberating lack of liberty, if you know. lack of liberty can come from from um, you know not being free, not being free from themselves, being powered by themselves. Do you think you're free? Oh, we do because we could leave. We could uh, you know the key is on the inside of the enclosure door. We could go out any time we wanted. Yes, I have been out on a few occasions. Actually, only to hospital now. Hmm. Went to Dublin and else. I was, oh yeah, I was in Dublin a good many times. I had some an operation there, and then I had to go back. I got some kind of a rheumatoid arthritis or something, and I had to have that. Did you see big changes when you went oh, out? Oh, what I noticed was the magnificent houses. Mother Abbas sent me out. There was a course in the Poor Clares in Galway, and one sister went from every house, a Poor Clare house in Ireland, and I was sent. Did you look forward to going out? I did. I looked forward to it. You weren't afraid or anything of going out having been here for... Well, no. I, I, a friend of mine drove me, and I was quite at home, of course. How long, do, how long did you stay out? How long was the... A month. month. A month? Yes. So you, you must have seen a lot of changes, did you? Oh, I did. I, I, I did cars. There were cars. I th never saw so many cars. When I was coming in, not everybody had a car. I mean, just the odd one. And, and the car myself either. Yeah. And then the houses. I was looking out for a thatched house all the way, and I saw very few. Any ones I saw, they were dilapidated. All new houses, new bungalows. Beautiful. Did you think it was an improvement? I did, indeed. A great improvement in the country. You didn't miss anything about the old days, did you? I, I, did, I missed uh, the roses around the, 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 the doors of the old houses. You know, they were, they were all new houses and they seemed to be all new, you know, all stone work, you know. You missed the old, uh, more, there were more flowers, I think, in my time around the old houses. My family comes to see me every year. But they only stay... How? Uh, oh, yeah, they come for the, around one o'clock and they leave it before five o'clock. And where do, do they, can they come in? No, no, they, they remain in that parlour you're in. And I sit the side of the grill. And you talk? And we talk away and they enjoy the day and all the children look forward to the day visiting Drumshambert. They say just from one end of the year to the other.
the talk is when are we going to Drumshamble? They love a day in Drumshamble. Physical contact that people need, I mean, as, as people, you know, the, the kind of contact between, um, I suppose, putting your arms around people and things like that. Hmm. Do, do you ever miss that? It wouldn't cost me a thought. Never. Because I'd get embarrassed even now if I saw anything. <laughs> really? I'm not talking no, honestly no, with men. No, I mean, no, no. It wouldn't cost me a thought. No. Never cost me a thought. You just... When we came here first, we had only two fingers to hand to our parents. Through a grill, there were four sections in that grill, and all you had was two little fingers to hand to your parents, and they found that very, very difficult. But nowadays, we can give them a really warm shake hands through the grill, and that pleases them more than anything. It's amazing. Originally, our foundresses were Anglican. They were belonged to an Anglican sisterhood. And they decided they became Catholic and they decided to become Franciscans. They did their novitiate in France and came back to England and founded in England. They didn't succeed there from the troubles of the times and they came to Gory in Wexford. Three sisters, three foundresses. That was in 18. 54 they came to Ireland on the 6th of uh, January in 1864 uh, the foundation stone was laid it still comes down in history where um, the weather was so mild that the candles outside on the foundation stone didn't even flicker their ideals were uh, definitely to help the church for the conversion of England mainly, originally the foundation that was their ideal to help the, for, pray for the conversion of England and to do penance prayer and penance for the conversion of England. And that is in the back of, you know, still basically that's there. We pray for England because our foundresses were English. Henry Gretton's granddaughter was one of the early uh, sisters here. She had her here in Drumshanbo, but she had uh, gone to the sisters down in, in uh, Sherlockstown, down in Kildare, uh, for an interview, and eventually entered here. It was in Drumshanbo she actually entered. She had known them earlier. Her sister is uh, also buried in our cemetery. Uh, she couldn't become a member of the community because her health uh, wasn't uh, good enough, but she was devoted to the community. Her um, mother Gretton's own people, of course, opposed her, her entrance, especially her mother, because, um, you know, for religious reasons. But she persevered and eventually got the goodwill. Do you think that maybe nowadays it would be a harder choice for young girls to make than it was in your time? Yes, possibly it would be harder because of uh, the materialism in the world today. On the other hand, um, I think young people may be coming uh, disillusioned by the materialism in the world and uh, want the, to be free from it all. And especially perhaps with uh, you know charismatic prayer and the like of this to get to know um, God at an earlier stage. But uh, there is a difference uh, in praying and the attraction to prayer which so many young people have now and in giving their life 
to a life of prayer where everything is simply for the purpose of prayer. I'm told that in, in some places there are more young people today interested in joining the contemplative orders than they, they are uh, entering the more active orders. I'm not sure if this is universally so. It would seem that uh, some of the monastic orders today have great difficulty in getting vocations. I know that many of them have brought in experts. You see, I think we need them, but they need us. And they have brought in people who are experts, say, in psychology, in uh, communications, even in, in business matters, but more so in spiritual uh, spirituality. And through workshops, seminars, conferences, I think they're beginning to realize that perhaps certain changes have to be made in order to be more in keeping with the world today. So I, I would say that if they can adjust, then they will get vocations. After all, some of them are about, um, what, 1,400 years old, perhaps more. And so when you think of that tremendously long history, um, I don't see any reason why in our day they shouldn't continue. Uh, and I know they're working very hard to make known the, the real meaning and purpose of their life to people today. It's interesting that uh, when I was speaking to an Indian sister recently, she comes from Rishikesh, which is a sacred city in India, and she said it was full of young people from the West, from USA and Australia and from Great Britain, Ireland, and some of them had become unbelievers, but they were discontented, they were searching, and the search had taken them to, to the East. And as a convert from um, Hinduism, uh, she felt it was a pity that we in the West had not given them a tradition of contemplation here, uh, instead of giving the impression that they had to leave their own Christian background in order to, to seek whatever it was they were looking for. They were seeking a spiritual master who would uh, lead them, I suppose, to God ultimately, even if they didn't know it. We started in perpetual adoration in 1879, and for over 100 years we've had unbroken vigil before the Blessed Sacrament. What, what does that mean, that you...? Uh... It means there are two sisters in adoration, day and night, praying before the Blessed Sacrament exposed praying for the needs of the church, for the needs of the world.
come and ring the bell and I open the, the grating at the door. I pull a spring and it's automatic. And of course, some people jump when they see it because <laughs> it's most unexpected to see. And they jump and say, oh, glory. <laughs> and of course, I, they hear the voice then behind the grill. And of course, that's another surprise for them if they're strangers in particular. So of course, then I bid them the hour of the day and say you're welcome or something like that. And then the conversation rises. And um, they tell me then they came prepared for such a, an intention. And it's amazing how they'll confide in you. I admire them beyond words. And then I talk to them and give whatever I have to give. And they go away. They feel relieved once they have left their burden with you. Do you ever discuss things like um, the fact that there are people um, dying in Northern Ireland, oh, or people yes. dying of starvation? Would oh, you discuss yes. this amongst yourselves? Oh, yes. Yes, at recreation time, and we get uh, the Catholic papers, and also, of course, we would get letters and appeals for prayer, and any any major issues, any major issues in the world, we would be informed of it in one way or another. We would always know, in a general way, we would know uh, there was a great need of God's help in various places, and always realising at the same time that uh, while uh, there may be a need in Northern Ireland, need in one area or another, it's only a very small part of the need that is in the whole world. There can be a lot uh, happening in the world in the way of maybe volcanoes, wars, and we, well, nobody, people around wouldn't know them, they won't be in the daily press here in Ireland. But if we are in prayer, we are there. We are hopefully bringing God's grace to that individual place, that particular place where it is most needed at any time. Each has, uh, the, we think that the, those in the actual apostolate are doing marvellous work, work which we couldn't do because we're not called to do it. No, we wouldn't uh, chose to do it because uh, the call comes from God and call us to that. And it's up to us then to do our part as generously as they are doing theirs. Mother Teresa, of course, again, uh, she lives on Providence too, really. She lives on, doesn't she? She depend on Providence for all her work. And her work, of course, she's, um, you know, catering for the poor, in a, an active way. And now, again, we speak of prayer, and we are cooperators with her, with Mother Teresa. We, pr we pray for her work, and uh, she re depends on contemplatives to support her, realising that if her efforts fail, or the same with any of the other active sisters, at least the, prayer, the power of prayer will be there to help. We are here praying, but if someone wasn't out doing the work for which we pray, <coughs> be no point in we've been here praying really we pray for what people for, for those who are working outside they're out on the battlefield and we try to provide them with the ammunition well i i think one way i look at it is this that um we we all have a kind of spiritual hunger within us whether we know what we're looking for or not but the contemplative uh, has this as his or her priority it's, it's the great gift that's been given to this man or woman. And in the same way as we would uh, appreciate a gift for poetry or art or literature, even, even if it wasn't producing something useful, I think we've got to respect this gift, which they have. It is the, the call to make the search for God the priority in life. And uh, even if, if I haven't got it or you haven't got it, uh, it seems to me that this is a, a very beautiful thing, a very true thing, and that they are supplying something which is very, very necessary in our world. It would seem 
that uh, we lead a, night, a life of isolation, maybe, or selfishness, or escapism, or something like that. <laughs> but um, I think really, well, it is very difficult for people outside to really understand. You have to be inside, really, and live it <laughs> to, to realise, you know. But uh, still, those who think more deeply are, uh, must realise that uh, people have great faith in the power of prayer, and they do realise that our, our life is... Uh, fruitful one. relationship with God and if you have your own personal relationship with God and you have nothing. Silence, sing to me, and beat upon my whorled ear. Pipe me to pasture still, and be the music that I care to hear. Shape nothing, lips, be lovely dumb. It is the shut, the curfew sent from there where all surrenders come, which only makes you eloquent. Be shelled eyes with double dark, and find the uncreated light. This ruck and reel which you remark Coils, keeps and teases simple sight. Palate the hutch of tasty lust Desire not to be rinsed with wine. The can must be so sweet The crust so fresh that come in fasts divine. Nostrils, your careless breath that spend Upon the stir and keep of pride what relish shall the censers send along the sanctuary side? O oh, feel of primrose hands, O oh, feet that want the yield of plushy sward, but you shall walk the golden street, and you unhouse and house the Lord. And poverty be thou the bride, and now the marriage feast begun, and lily-coloured clothes provide your spouse not laboured at nor spun. <laughs> 